John 1 verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Story that may be familiar to some of you who are parents, pretends that the table is set for dinner and you're looking around and yet you are one child short, playing outside, riding his bike. And so you send his older brother out to fetch him. And the older brother goes outside and says, you know, Johnny, come inside. It's dinner time. Mom sent for you. And the younger brother out on his bicycle does not respond with the kind of fervency that you were expecting as everybody else is around the dinner table. And so the older brother comes back in and did you call your brother? Yeah, I called my brother. Did he come? No, he kind of rolled his eyes actually. Well, did you tell him that mommy said come in? Yes, but it didn't seem to emotionally affect him like you thought it would. <laughs> and so the mom goes out to summon the child and the mom goes out and says, Johnny, come inside for dinner. And this time, Johnny comes inside for dinner, running, skipping even, filled with joy to come inside for dinner. Now what changed between the first invitation and the second invitation? Well, the meal didn't change. The meal is, is still there. Johnny was not reluctant to come inside because he was nervous about dinner. It had nothing to do with the food on the table. The meal is the same. The message is the same. The only thing that changed is the messenger. In round one, the messenger was a sibling, a man like himself, and a man whom, frankly, Johnny's not inclined to obey or listen to for various reasons, some of which are long, complicated stories, I'm sure. But in the second go around, in fact, there was no messenger, was there? The person who came with the message, she herself was the message sender. She has a different kind of authority, a different kind of integrity, and so she compels a different kind of response. Have that in the back of your mind as we look at John 1, verse 17 again. Now listen to it as I read it a second time. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Here we have the story of two different, and you could say it this way, two different message bearers. The first that you encounter is Moses, and Moses comes bearing a law. Now, the law was not received by Israel. And you recall that after the Red Sea parting, they received the law from the mountain, and yet the Israelites did not embrace it. They did not follow it. The law did not compel their obedience. In fact, Moses came down from the mountain bearing the law and found the Israelites worshiping an idol, which caused Moses to break the law. And God told him, you break it, you buy it, Moses. Make that thing again. So Moses puts it back together and the Israelites are just one story of rebellion after another. 
But this go around, there's a second person coming with the message. This time around, it is not the law, but grace and truth. Jesus comes bearing something different from the law, something more clear than the law, something more persuasive than the law, something that will compel obedience differently, more powerfully, more efficaciously than the law, namely grace and truth. And so let me give you a contrast here this morning as your outline. I want you to see the contrast between law and grace. And there are so, this is such a rich theme in scripture that it would be ridiculous for me to try to cover this exhaustively this morning. There are, are, are books and uh, many, many books written on the difference between law and grace. The book of Galatians comes to mind as one of them. <laughs> Not covering all that this morning, just, just skirting along the f- surface here in verse 17 so you get kind of the overview of a difference between law and grace. I'll give you three or four differences time permitting here. But first, let's look at the nouns that are used before we get to our outline here. The nouns that are used. You see the law, which was given through Moses. That word law, it's the word for Torah, and it speaks to the first five books of the Bible. This is what Moses brought with him down off of the mountain. It's all called law. Law is not just the commands in the Old Testament. It's the first five books of the Bible. That's the Torah given by Moses. Now, over time, over centuries, the word Torah and the concept of law grew in Judaism to include all of what we would call the Old Testament. And you see this in Psalm 119, for example. Over and over again, the psalmist, I think is likely Daniel writing Psalm 119, refers to the law of the Lord. It's good for meditating. It's good for building your life upon. He's not simply talking about the the first five books, the law of Moses. He's talking about all of what we would now call the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. That's the law. But here, John specifically, although it's true of all the Old Covenant, specifically he's highlighting Moses' connection to it, the first five books. The second word you see here is grace. Grace, this speaks of uh, the divine nature of God being given away. Now, I'm sure you've heard that grace is getting something you don't deserve. Mercy is getting something you deserve withheld. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting the spanking of your child. Grace is not just not getting the spanking, but instead getting ice cream. (laughs) Now you understand in in the New Testament, grace is receiving the gospel. Grace is receiving faith. But, you know, the more I study the New Testament, the more I think that grace, it's not just getting something you don't deserve. Grace refers to the whole nature of God himself. That God is by nature gracious. He's by nature a giver. God loves to give. By his own nature, he's giving himself away. That's what it means that God is gracious. He, he gives. And God's giving did not start with Genesis 1-2. It did not start with him creating the world. God, like I said, is a giver by nature. In other words, God gives before there's creation, before there's anyone to whom he can give. The father is giving his own, his own being to his son. The father gives life to the son. The son has life because the father gives it to him is what John 6 has. Now, this doesn't mean the son has a beginning. The son is eternal. Just like the father is always the father, the son is always the son, which means the father has always been giving himself. The very being of God is philanthropic. The very being of God is, is benevolent. God loves to give. And so what you find in creation is God giving his spirit to the world, God giving his word to the world. That's not extraneous to God's character. That's who God is. He loves to give himself. 
So much so that when you come to John 1 verse 1 and you see the very logos, the very word of God, the very truth of God is coming to earth, while that certainly is surprising that God would take on a human nature and become a man, it's in keeping with the very eternal character of God that he gives himself. Grace speaks to this element of God's character. He's gracious, he gives himself. In John's gospel, you see grace in verse 14. The Father is full of grace and truth. In other words, grace has its origination in the Father. He's full of grace and truth. And then secondly, in verse 16, from the fullness of God, from the triune being of God, we have received grace after grace, one grace after another. And then thirdly, in verse 17, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. So what's in the character of God comes to us over and over and over again, chiefly in the person of Jesus Christ. After that, after verse 17 here, you don't see grace again in, in John's gospel. Grace is here as the introduction for the person of Jesus Christ. In contrast with truth, in verse 17, truth also comes through Jesus Christ. Now, truth is an overarching theme in John's gospel. John is, you could say, obsessed with truth. <laughs> chapter four, we worship God in spirit and? Chapter eight, verse 30, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Chapter eight, verse 45, Jesus tells the Pharisees, you hate me because you hate the truth. You reject me because you reject the truth. John 14, verse six, Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And of course, there's Pilate's question, which really could be the overarching theme of John's gospel. When Pilate asks Jesus, what is truth? You picture John hearing that question going, I could write a book on that. Thank you very much. <laughs> what is truth? Truth also is not external to God. Truth is the very character, the very nature of God. And put it this way, God doesn't keep the law because the law is outside of him and he tries to, he, he tries to prove his holiness by keeping the law. The law comes from God's holiness because God himself is truth. There's no standard outside of himself. He defines truth. And so now you come into John 1 and you see the logos, the very word of God, becoming human, taking on human flesh, making his dwelling among us, living and breathing. You can touch him and handle him and he makes his life with us. And he comes not with another law, but he comes with grace and truth. So let me help you understand this contrast between the law through Moses and grace and truth through Jesus Christ. First, it's the difference between inspired and incarnate. Inspired versus incarnate. The Old Testament law is indeed inspired. The Old Testament law is perfect. That's what David calls it in Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The law of the Lord can make the, the naive wise. It can tell you how to live because it is perfect. Because the law of the Lord is perfect, that means you cannot add anything to it. There's no commandments that are missing from the law of the Lord. It has all the commandments it needs. It's perfect. You also can't take any commandments away from it as if it would be better if it only lacked one of these commandments. No, you can't add to it. You can't take away from it. It is perfect. But just because it's perfect doesn't mean it is omnipotent. The law being perfect doesn't mean it can do all things. The law can show you God's holiness, which it does perfectly, but it can't make you follow God. The law can show you God's standards, but it can't give you a new nature. 
The law can restrain sin in the world, but it cannot compel obedience in the world. That's the, you could say, the deficit of the law, which is not negative about the law at all, honestly. It's negative about human hearts. And just as Moses came down from the mountain with the law and found the Israelites breaking it immediately upon receiving it. I mean, God had parted the Red Sea. God had given them manna out of the ground. God had shown his faithfulness to the Israelites over and over and over again, yet they rejected his law, and that is not a knock on the law. It's a knock on the Israelites. And so you find it here. Moses delivered the law. It was inspired, breathed out by the very spirit of God himself. It was inerrant. Nothing wrong with it. It is also not just inerrant and inspired, but it's also thirdly, prophetic, which means it's pointing to something beyond it. That's what it means when I say the law was inspired. It was breathed out by God, it was flawless, but it was also looking forward to something next. And the next here is a person. Even the law itself says that there will come a prophet like Moses after Moses and you should listen to him. That's what the law says. Well, here in John chapter one, we meet this, what the inspired word points to. And it's pointing to a person. You could say it this way, the law had a borrowed authority. It was inspired, but it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And here in the incarnation, Jesus doesn't have a borrowed authority. He is the lawgiver in flesh. The law can expose the heart, but not change it. Because Jesus makes the heart, he can expose it and change it. And that's John's point here. The law came through Moses, but now we have something different. Not a second law. When Jesus is born, he does not come, as I said earlier, with two tablets under his arms. He doesn't come with more chapters for a book. He doesn't even come just bearing the New Testament. He comes bearing something totally different, namely himself. He comes with no gifts. He's born into this world without anything in his hands. He comes into this world just himself. But that is enough. That is grace in human flesh. That is truth in human flesh. Not a new law, but a person. Up in the mountains of Colorado, there's this place called the Flat Top Mountains, and there are shepherds that bring sheep up there, and they bring these wickedly awful sheep dogs up there also. These dogs that protect the sheep. They're giant. They look like llamas. They're so big. <laughs> and they patrol the sheep. And they try to corral the sheep. They try to keep them on these certain bluffs. And they try to keep the mountain lions away and the, the wolves away. And, but they, I mean, they're sheep dogs. They don't have that many tools at their disposal. And then a couple times a year, up the mountain will come the shepherd. And you should see it when the shepherd comes. The sheep run to the shepherd. The sheep dogs run to the shepherd. <laughs> it's not another dog. It's not a better trained dog that arrives. It's the shepherd himself. And that's what's happening here in verse 17. It's not just a new law that's coming that's inspired. I mean, I'm not knocking the law here. The law is inspired and inerrant and prophetic. But the next thing on the stage is not a new law. It's a person. And that's what's surprising about this. This person comes, as I said, not with a new law, but with grace 
truth. There's another comparison that's like this in John's gospel, which is, ties into to communion here, where Jesus said, your, your father used to give you manna in the wilderness. Now, manna worked. It was supernatural bread grown from the ground that nourished you. It was not permanent. You know, you couldn't store it. It would die out the next day. And so the Lord repeatedly gave it for those 40 years of wanderings. And Jesus says he comes as the true bread of heaven, which is not, again, not a knock on the manna. It's just that the manna wasn't designed to be forever. And the manna is replaced, not with just better growing, longer lasting manna, now with preservatives. <laughs> the manna is replaced with a person. That's the difference between law and grace. It's a law written out and inspired and inerrant and prophetic versus a person. Secondly, mediation versus a mediator. Mediation versus a mediator. The law presents mediation. As I said, it's a window you can look through and you can see the outside through the window, but the window can't make you go outside. The window is not outside. It's not the outside. It's just what you're looking through to see the outside. That's the law. The law is the window into God's holiness. You can look through it and see God's holiness, but it's just the window. It's, it's mediation. And now what you see here in John 1 verse 17 is the mediation is in a sense put aside and now you have the mediator himself. There's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, and here he arrives. He shows up. If you have a, a relative coming to visit, you might tell your children that this person's coming to visit and it's, it's gonna be a gift. The person coming will be a gift to our, our family. And maybe you might say that. Maybe the relative's coming is a gift. Maybe it's not. I guess it depends upon your particular relationship with that relative, but I won't pry. <laughs> Nevertheless, if you told your children when the knock on the door comes, if you said, oh, grandpa is here and he has a gift, children would come to the door and they would expect to see something in grandpa's hands. They would, you know, lift his wallet. I mean, they'd be looking for something. And if, if you were to then say at that moment, oh no, grandpa's presence here is gift enough. While that may be true, at the very least, it was misleading how you described it. <laughs> and that's the distinction here. Notice the verbs that John uses. The law was given. It was handed to you. It came as a gift. In contrast, Jesus, grace and truth, came they arrived. That's the language you use for a person. You don't say that the, 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 the gift came. The gift doesn't come and ring the doorbell, Amazon Prime accepted. <laughs> the gift is given, but a person arrives. A person comes, and it's a different experience. You, you meet him, and you interact with him, and you receive him. And that's what's happening in verse 17. The law was given through Moses, but grace and peace uh, grace and truth came, or the New American Standard says, was realized. But I like came better. It's what the Greek word means. It, it arrived. And this gets back again to the borrowed authority. The law has a borrowed authority because the law, although it's internal to God, it's reflecting his holiness. God doesn't have to keep the law. He gives the law. And this was what stumbled the Pharisees throughout Jesus' life. They kept asking, how come the, you, Jesus, and your disciples don't keep the law? And what they meant by that was, why don't you keep the law? We, th we people keep the law. And Jesus' response was always, because I'm the lawgiver. Something greater than the temple is here. The Sabbath is my day. It points to me. 
the priests work for me, which was not an answer that went over well with the Pharisees. <laughs> That's the difference here between mediation and the mediator himself. Third, meet versus immediate. Meet versus immediate. The law was meet out. It was justice meet out to the people. In other words, it was dispensed like a net. It came out to them and they received it, but they was not God himself. It was his word, which stands for God with the authority of God and the integrity of God. Nevertheless, it was, it was meet out, dispensed. What a contrast versus being born. Jesus wasn't meet out to the world. He was born into the world. The law was written, Jesus was incarnate would be another way of saying the difference. The law was written out. You have to study it and read it and copy it and pass it down. That's not so with Jesus. He was born, he was a person, he ate. And John says you could, you could touch him and you could, you could feel him and you could talk to him and he could put his head on his lap and take a nap. I mean, that's John's physical contact with Jesus, so different than the law. Holiness was revealed through God's law, but his grace is revealed through himself. Holiness comes through the law, but grace comes himself. That's why it's so important to realize that grace comes from the very nature and character of God. So that when grace and truth come through Jesus Christ, you understand that Jesus is not simply the channel for grace and truth, but he is grace and truth. Whereas the law is the channel through which you see holiness, Jesus is not simply the channel of grace and truth. He is grace and truth. And so listen to this sentence very carefully. Grace and truth are more closely associated with Jesus than the law was associated with Moses. Grace and truth are more closely associated with Jesus than the law was associated with Moses. If you were Jewish, that would blow your mind. <laughs> Understand that the Jews had a very, I mean, inside of Judaism is every kind of approach to God's law imaginable. It's not like Jews treated God's law this way or that way. Or it's not monolithic. Uh, Jews have a, a rainbow of flavors in how they approach God's law. But the, a majority view of God's law, especially during Jesus's lifetime, was that the law was living and active. It was not dead and stoic. It was living and active. The law speaks the law talks to you. The law is on your shoulder. It's personal. You can see, borrow evangelical language. The Jews, although they didn't speak like an evangelical, but they could have said this phrase. You could have a personal relationship with God's law. That was their kind of perspective on this. The law was very much alive and talking to them. And John is not rebuking that approach. John is embracing that approach and doubling down on it. Notice he says the law came through Moses, which is fine and well. You have a personal relationship with the law, great. You listen to it, you obey it, good for you. It came through Moses. Now here is something different and better and more extreme than even that. The law speaks to you, but here is the speaker. The law is alive, but here is life. The law is holiness, but here is truth in flesh. The law takes on a life of its own in the Jew's mind, and John says, great. That life becomes a person. And he comes and lives among us and dwells with us. That's the idea of the law becoming grace, becoming alive. 
final distinction, fading versus permanent. Fading versus permanent. 2 Corinthians 3 describes the law as being, the glory of the law as being brought to an end. You know this, that the law was given with pomp and circumstance. There was the trumpet that blasted. There was the tempest that swirled. There was the darkness that descended. There was sound, the piercing sound of the trumpet that made the listeners cower in fear. They covered their ears. They begged that no further words be spoken to them because they could not endure the command that was given. If even an animal touches the mountain, it shall be put to death. Indeed, so overcoming, so terrible was the sight that Moses himself said, I tremble with great fear. That's how the law arrived. But it did not stay that way. It had its power because of the signs that accompanied it, the angels that trumpeted it, and then it faded. Moses' face did not radiate because of the trumpet blast. Moses' face did not radiate because he had touched Mount Sinai. Moses' face was brilliant with the glory of God because he saw the lawgiver. And he brought down the law. And even then, the glory faded. And so he puts on the veil to cover it up. So that you see what was in the law was already passing away. This is why in Hebrews 8, Paul says that the old covenant was already becoming obsolete. Think of that word, obsolete. Not a word you would often use for the, any part of scripture. <laughs> but it was obsolete because it was pointing to something beyond it. You know, in the way a semifinal in a tournament is obsolete. The semifinal is fun to watch, sometimes more exciting than the final and all that, granted. But it's only got a point because it's pointing to the next game. When the final's being played, there's not another network simultaneously broadcasting the semifinal. You don't care. The law was prophetic pointing to Jesus, showing that something better was coming. This is why Romans 8, verse 3, simply says that the law was fulfilled in Christ. And his glory is permanent. It lasts forever. John 1 verse 17 ends with this phrase. It came through Jesus Christ. Now, if you've read John's gospel, this won't surprise you to know that John uses the name Jesus more than any other gospel writer. I believe even more than Matthew, Mark, and Luke combined. John loves to talk about Jesus. He uses his name all over the place. But he only calls him Jesus Christ in two places. One here at the beginning and one at the end of his gospel after the high priestly prayer that these things are written so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ. The rest of the book he just talks about Jesus and it's like he opens and he closes with this is his argument. I want you to hear everything about Jesus full of grace and full of truth so that you would believe he is the Christ. The only true God whom he has sent. Now this is why grace is such good news for us. It's so counter the Jewish approach to the world. It's so counter the every other religion approach to the world. It's so counter the American approach to the world because we so easily become practical legalists. We think things like, you know what, what I owe to my family is to work hard and to try hard and to be good and to have a good marriage and to be a good dad and, and you should try hard to be a good wife and to be a good mom and because we're working hard, good things will happen to us and, and God will receive us because we are trying so hard to do this right. That's how people think. 
That is how you approach God through law. You keep the law and God will keep you. That is not how Jesus came into the world. That's not the message of grace. The message of grace is not try really hard to lead a good life and, ha- and stay close to Jesus as best you can and he will stay close to you. That, is, that, that would be called wages, not grace. The message Jesus brings is for the sick. It is for those that have spent their life running from God. It is for the thieves on the cross. It is for those who have just really cultivated an intransigent heart, a calloused heart, a rebellious heart, who have not led a good life. That's whom this message of grace is for. That's a picture to you that anybody can come to faith in Christ regardless of how you've lived your life. There are those that think I haven't done enough good or I don't, my marriage isn't good enough or I'm not a good enough kid, I'm not obedient enough so that I can have a relationship with God. That is, that's not why Jesus came. He's the doctor who came for the sick, not for the well. People say, oh, if you believe in deathbed can conversions and somebody, it doesn't matter how you work, you can be the most evil person and get converted in your deathbed and going to heaven when you die. I mean, that's why Christianity is a sham and to which I respond is like, no, that's why Christianity is different because it's grace incarnate. And because a criminal can get converted on his deathbed, you can get converted here <laughs> and you can come to faith in Christ because his arms are open. What I mean by the shape of grace here is that grace incarnate in Jesus, not just simply in the form of a baby, but grace incarnate in the form of the perfect life. Grace incarnate in the form of a perfect life who then has our sins given to him. And then who dies for those sins. So the sinners will not be punished for those sins. And you receive grace when you place your faith that Jesus died for your sins. When you believe that, 